Greetings, and welcome to the SLIS Colloquia, a program now in our seventh consecutive semester brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are bringing you this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's speaker, a few announcements. Please look for our new colloquia presentations on the SLIS webpage throughout the term. You will also find there a webcast archive of all of our previous seven semesters of presentations on the SLIS homepage at slisweb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Details on how to access these presentations, either through the RSS feeds or the iTunes store, can be found on the colloquia page. Viewers can also watch the SLIS colloquia on Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our students, I would like to encourage you to visit a special website detailing the social networking opportunities the school offers for you to virtually connect with uh, SLIS students. It's on our, it's, um, our own social networking wiki site. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offers a way to share and learn about the rapidly changing resources you'll want to know about. I also might remind you that we maintain a, dyna a dynamic homepage that should become something else you check regularly for school updates, resources, and news. Those comments are for our SLIS students, but for everyone else in the SLIS community, I'd like to call your attention to the school's receptions this fall at several of our professional conferences. Our ARMA reception will be hosted by Dr. Pat Franks in Orlando, Florida in mid-October. Also in mid-October, Dr. Ken Haycock and the faculty will be hosting a SLIS reception at the annual Internet Librarian Conference in Monterey, California. And at the end of October, Dr. Haycock and the faculty will be hosting our annual reception at the California Library Association in Pasadena. All the details and RSVPs are available on our school's webpage and we hope that, uh, that you will attend these professional conferences and take the opportunity to become better acquainted with the faculty as well as meet up with classmates, friends, and colleagues. We hope you enjoy the colloquia presentations and thank you for helping to make the series a success. A native of San Jose, Rita Torres shares her heritage with a clan of boisterous sisters and brothers raised here in San Jose on the east side. She graduated from local schools and even from San Jose State University itself. Rita, distinguished, uh, her distinguished career began in 1976 as the very first bilingual bicultural librarian employed by the entire city of San Jose. She served as a librarian for 30 years, beginning in the wild and woolly late 1970s when experimental library programs were all over the place. Rita was the first librarian to lead Biblioteca Latinoamericana, a Spanish language resource library project that one day became a full-fledged branch of the San Jose public library system. Her professional service and contribution culminated with her retirement in July 2007. And today we are fortunate to welcome her back to campus to share her still recent retirement experience with us. Her talk today is entitled, Zero to 30, Full Speed Ahead to Retirement. So please join with me and the rest of the SLIS faculty in welcoming back to campus, 
uh, answer this list colloquia, Rita Torres. I was very surprised to be asked to come and give a talk about the transition to retirement because to me, library school students are just beginning their career. What would they want to know and hear about retirement at this time in life? Um, I know that when I started my career, they did try to talk to us about retirement, but it didn't make any sense to me. It didn't mean anything. It was a lot of gibberish. So <laughs> I'm not sure that I'll make a difference uh, to this audience either. But um, I did want to talk about a couple of things that occurred to me. Uh, and, and the zero to 30 is a reference to the traditional career lasting a 30-year period of time. But I may be the last generation where that has been the case. Um, often careers change quite a bit. They don't even stay in the same field uh, in the last, since the year 2000. At least I've been seeing that uh, amongst my friends. So let me start with transition. Transition is passing from one condition to another. Passing sounds very graceful, very soft, um, uh, changing from one thing to another. <clears throat> and retirement can be something very dramatic, very uh, jolting. So let me start back with a little bit of history. I was 25 years old when I began my career. I was very young. I was one of very few people who decided on this career when I was in high school. A lot of people when I was in library school were making changes from another career. Teaching was the most common one. Um, there were also a lot of people working uh, in a job but going to school during summertime only when they could come to the library program here at San Jose State during the summer and uh, accumulate all of their uh, credits. I was the first generation after the war years to attend college. I was the first in my family to complete high school and then to enter into college. Uh, later, we, I was defined my generation as baby boomers. And that was a surprise to me. I didn't realize I was a boomer until I was almost boomed out of work. Uh, my parents grew up during the Depression. Uh, for them, the sun rose in the San Joaquin Valley and their horizon set in San Jose. That was a big deal to them to come to a town that was not agriculturally driven. Although at that time, it was still the Valley of Heart's Delight. We had a lot of uh, orchards, but there was a lot of industry growing here. The Ford Motor Company was uh, established in uh, Milpitas, a lot of employment for war veterans. Uh, my father uh, was an employee of the uh, US Postal Service. So um, as that first generation to start enjoying some of the benefits of uh, the, the uh, GI Bill. I was able to have a stable home. My parents had uh, employment here in the Valley. Um, I was lucky that my parents both embraced the value of higher education, not just for, for the boys, but for all of the girls. So me and my six siblings all have gone to college. Although I have to say very proudly, the girls are the ones that have their master's degrees. <laughs> And um, we are the generation of the American dream. We were the ones that were going to be able to have a 30-year job, have security, jobs with benefits, uh, a home with an automobile tucked away in the garage. So my aspirations were few. I was really proud to have a full-time job in my chosen profession. Um, and uh, the story about my choosing the profession is that when I was a freshman in high school, I happened to, I was a library user from very young age because my father used the library. Uh, um, he was very avid about um, getting the Chilton's auto repair manuals out because 
auto repair was very expensive, so he did a lot of that on his own. So I was always tagging along with Dad to the library. Um, but when I was a freshman in high school, I read a book called Miss Library Lady. It was a fiction, romance fiction, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it featured a bookmobile and librarians and romance in the stacks. So that set my course as a career. But uh, having had, uh, been a library user, I never realized that a librarian was a career. When you're in junior high and high school, they're pushing you to choose a career. What are you going to do the rest of your life, the rest of your life? And at uh, 13, 14 years old, you don't know, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And that book gelled for me a career. Um, so that's just a little background. But as I started my career um, in 1976, I didn't stop to consider what did I want to accomplish in my career. I was glad to have a job. I was very proud. I made my parents proud. Uh, and in the 1970s, there was a lot of federal funding for demonstration projects to see what could libraries do if they had some money to show the possibilities. And for me, that was the um, Biblioteca Latinoamericana the Spanish Services Library Branch for San Jose Public Library, and we demonstrated that you can provide Spanish language library materials and programs, and the customers are there. They were hidden in the woodwork, uh, but they would come out if they knew people were there to uh, hear them, understand them, and respond to them. And so uh, the Biblioteca Latinoamericana was, I think, only the second library in the state of California to provide Spanish services, the first being Oakland Public Libraries, uh, now named Cesar Chavez Branch. Um, so 30 years forward, I retired in July 2007 after a 30-year career with San Jose Public Library. All of my 30 years were with San Jose Public Library. They tutored me. They taught me. Uh, I learned a lot. I came away uh, with things that I really valued highly, things I might have done differently. Uh, but being a librarian to me was a connection to education. And I had thought first in high school I would be a teacher, but I had some excellent teachers I thought I could never emulate. Uh, but librarianship to me was uh, something that I started to see. It's a connection to libraries. And so I pursued my undergraduate degree with very little care for what I was studying because my goal was to become a master's uh, school candidate. And I did um, successfully enter and graduate from San Jose State University's library program in 1976. When I retired 30 years later, um, it was a time of a lot of life changes. My children were grown. I had paid off my mortgage. <laughs> I was having hot flashes. <laughs> My vision has been changing. I can't see like I used to. And I realized it was time to think about um, the next phase of life. And I didn't actually wait until I retired. About five years before that came is when I started to look up. You know, my kids graduated from high school, and I started to say, oh, they're going to be going off on their own life. Uh, they're not going to think about me, so I need to think about me. What am I going to do? So I started doing things, uh, looking at finances, going to classes that the city offered, which many organizations do about preparing financially for retirement, planning the date that you do. And one of the most important things that they, uh, in one of the retirement classes, was to ask us to sit down and think about what does retirement look like to me and draw a picture of it. Retirement is very nebulous. Oh, you know, you're not going to be working, but what are you going to do? What will it look like? And ultimately, in those classes, is can you afford your vision? So uh, those were considerations that I hadn't done. And um, 
I go look at that drawing that I did at the time once in a while, and I'm making little steps getting to it. Um, my vision was Hawaii. It's always been my happy place. <laughs> uh, but it's very expensive in Hawaii, and uh, I do visit. I have a sister who lives there, so it might be possible, but in two years I haven't moved to Hawaii, so I'm still working on that. But more important, I started to assess uh, what did I accomplish in my career, and did I make a difference? And I think a lot of that becomes very important to us after the span of time. It, it may be 10 years, it may be 20, it may be 30, 40 years. I do have colleagues who are still working and going on 40 years, and hats off to them, but <laughs> I jumped ship when I could. Uh, it was December of 2006 when I uh, learned that I was eligible to retire. Uh, in fact, it, in six weeks from that time, I was going to be eligible, and it shocked me. I thought I was going in with a year advance planning, and um, at first I was elated. I was on cloud nine for about two days. Oh my God, there's light at the end of the tunnel. No more committees, no more papers to write, no more staff evaluations. <laughs> they were an albatross on my neck all the time. Um, and I realized I was mentally fatigued, very fatigued. And some people may never feel that, some may not admit it. Uh, I really recognized that I was, I was ready for that. Uh, I didn't go in the six weeks. I gave myself six months to power down, delegate things, uh, change things, move things uh, that I could. And um, I realized I was wearing so many different hats. I was a manager of one department that was already a merger of two and then three units um, at the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Library. I had several committees I was working on. I had about 15 projects, trying to keep them all in the air, all at one time. And, you know, invariably, I'd keep these in the air and these would fall. So I'd pick these up again and they would fall. Um, what is wearing is the diminishing sense of accomplishment that I started to feel. Um, but that's me. There's other people who have energy all the time. Uh, they could keep on going, but Silicon Valley has a pace like no other place in the world. <laughs> and it's frenzied, it's fast, and it's constant. So um, I was relieved. I was relieved that I, I had a, a reached that threshold of 30 years and I could retire with benefits, good benefits, a good pension, and uh, knowing that my mortgage was paid, well, that made it a lot easier to, to make that decision. But I did start to assess my career. And at first, as I said, I had two days of euphoria. And then I started to settle down. And I spent about one day feeling really disappointed because I hadn't reached the personal professional goal that I had set for myself. And that was to enter into the highest levels of uh, library uh, organization management to influence policy, services, and values, which were very important to me. I reflected on this for about a day. I even became bitter about not reaching that goal, that I felt there were opportunities and the management didn't see the gem that they had. <laughs> but I only wallowed in that about one day. But then I felt I really need to step back and look at what did I accomplish. I tend to see the glass half empty, not full. And uh, it's because I always feel there's more to do, I need to do more, I need to do better. I need to prove that I, as a, as a woman, as a woman of color, can do as well as or more than uh, other colleagues. And the pep talk was very good. 
I gave it to myself. I sat down and I wrote down the things that I had done. I really had to do this mental exercise. The first was, as was mentioned previously, I was the first bilingual bicultural librarian for the city of San Jose. Um, I didn't realize how monumental that was at the time. I was 25. What did I know? I was excited. I had lots of energy. I used to come into work on my days off. I had so much to do. I was excited. Uh, I didn't realize I was causing all kinds of problems. <laughs> but I was also the youngest one of the library staff at the time. Uh, everyone else is at least 10 years older than I, which didn't seem ancient, but they were a, a different generation. And the changes that the library went through because of the project I was hired to manage um, became difficult to, it, I didn't have the perspective at the time. It took about 15 years to realize that the job as the bilingual bicultural librarian managing the Latin American library made me an agent of change. Agents of change are looked on as uh, difficult people, perhaps. I didn't realize I was making the library change, changing how it purchased materials, how it processed through technical service, how they cataloged, how they put things into the online catalog, etc. I was doing my job, and I was hired to do this job, and I wanted to do it. Now, they didn't teach us in the library program about buying international language materials or the differences in that. There was no Baker and Taylor at the time. I mean, who knew 30 years later there was a Baker and Taylor who sells Spanish books? That didn't exist at the time. But I didn't know that. I just thought what I had to do was what I was supposed to do, and it caused quite a fury in a lot of places, and I didn't realize it at the time. Anyway, I was also part of, uh, about it, two years after I started working, the California Ethnic Services Task Force. The California State Library uh, created this task force with people from around the state of California. I was quite young, very green still in my profession, uh, but I represented San Jose Public Library, the South Bay Libraries in the system. Um, but I was part of a large effort to create resource materials. In the 70s, it was very important. We were having a lot of uh, immigrants from uh, Mexico, South America, from Europe. And then in the 80s, we had uh, boat people coming from Vietnam, and then things have escalated. Um, and we have such a diverse state now, it's, it's hard to imagine when we didn't have the multiplicity of languages, nationalities, cultural heritage. Um, there's such a mix when it used to be very static as a social uh, community. So these materials that we created um, were, are used by, well, they were. This is in the 70s, so this is 40 years later. <laughs> they were very uh, instrumental at the time uh, in helping libraries uh, get on the fast track of acquiring materials that would be responsive to their communities. I also created uh, friendships that would last my entire career. I also have been an active member of Bibliotecas para la Gente, which is a chapter in Northern California of a national organization called Reforma, which is the National Association to Promote Library Services to Latinos and the Spanish Speaking. Um, I've been a member of the California Library Association Council. I was also a member of the California Library Association Executive Committee. Again, in those areas, in those arenas, it had not been very common that people of color were part of those inner circles. I wasn't the only one, but it was certainly a new experience for me, and there's, you could always count one or two people, and that was it. And so I felt that in those arenas, I did make a difference bringing perspectives of the communities that I represented. 
I was the lead librarian at San Jose Public Library for the Partnerships for Change grant, which was a partnership between San Jose Public Library and the American Indian Center and the library that they had there. That center is now defunct for a variety of reasons. But that, that particular project, again, took me across the state to meet with other librarians and put me in touch with the American Indian community here in Santa Clara Valley, which, again, is not one Indian group, it's, there were at least um, 120 different tribes that we found in a survey that we did that were representative, representative of those residents here in uh, Santa Clara Valley. I was instrumental in helping change the library collections of what were called foreign languages, then becoming language collections, and finally are called international collections. And that I thought was very important. It was a significant message to the community that used the library that we didn't consider another language as foreign. It was international, as Silicon Valley prides itself in being an international community. I also managed a team of uh, selectors that uh, selected materials for our whole system with a budget of over uh, half a million dollars, representing about 60 languages throughout the system. And of that, I was very proud. Um, Unless you used a collection, unless you were someone who came to this country and was so stunned to find something in Farsi on the shelf and a Farsi-speaking librarian who actually knew what they were doing, uh, it wouldn't mean anything to you. But if you were to go to another country, I'm sure we'd be very excited to find English language materials in you know, China or India if we were there and you feel isolated. And so that was our goal, to make um, all of the members of the community that we could welcome in, into the San Jose Public Library. Um, many of these things are certainly not of my design. It was my assignment, but you look at what the occasion calls for. And coming from a family that didn't have a lot of resources, and there were things that I was left out of because we didn't have the economic means to participate, that was certainly something that drove me and what I was trying to accomplish as a professional in the library. And nothing is possible without partnerships, without collaboration, a lot of compromise, and shared values with many colleagues uh, over the span of my career. That included people in technical services, in IT services, uh, youth services, reference services, because whatever I was doing, and, and a lot of what I did was to represent and promote language services, uh, I had to translate it into terms that could be understood by a cataloger by the clerk who's checking in the books. Um, from the very bottom level, you can't get anything out on your floors unless you have cooperation from that level of staff. And they need to understand why it's important. It's very difficult for someone who can't read Chinese to try to figure out an invoice and then the cataloging and the romanization and the dollars uh, if you have different kinds of currency being uh, noted on, on paper. It caused a lot of frustration. Those are the kinds of things that I mean as an agent of change. I didn't realize it was so difficult for everyone else. I was forging ahead. I was doing my job. I was excited. I wanted to do it. And tech services, things used to stay there for a year because they couldn't get it out. They didn't understand what it was. So I had to learn quite a bit. And I, I realized um, partnership was real important. Talking to them first, letting them know that something is coming down the road. Um, call me if you need help. I'm willing and able to do translation, transliteration, etc. 
Um, so that smoothed the way. But it took me about 15 years to figure a lot of that out. <laughs> so in 30 years, half of it was hitting my head on the wall. Um, and I have to say that belonging to Bibliotecas para la Gente, but it could be any professional organization you belong to, um, sharing with those people who are doing the same kind of task that you're doing is very valuable. You learn from them. They've done it. Why should you uh, do it again? They'll give you tips. That's been my life saving, being a member of Bibliotecas para la Gente. Uh, I was the only one at San Jose Public doing this, but Oakland had one person, San Francisco had one, Mountain View had one, Watsonville had one, Monterey County had one. But when we came together collectively, it was great to share with the others. So I encourage you in your career to join those organizations, become part of something larger than just yourself. Um, you'll save a lot of heartache that way. <laughs> no bleeding heads. So, um, I needed to then establish who was I going to be now that I retired. I was probably one of the last of my generation in our particular library workforce. And I will say, I will define myself as being exhausted. <laughs> um, what really did me in, I'm embarrassed to say, but it was Library 2.0. <laughs> It was one more change, you know. The one thing that the library uh, taught me is everything changes, nothing stays the same. It may look like it is to the outsider, but inside we were constantly downsizing, right-sizing, um, merchandising, becoming uh, more, looking at ourselves from the customer's perspective, which we always think we do, but there's always something to learn. Uh, but 2.0, learning how to blog, that was just, that was the end. I, I just couldn't do that. <laughs> I used technology. I used it quite a bit um, at work, but we had a lot of IT staff. They did a lot of creative things, and I knew how to type. I could use my keyboard. I could create Word documents, Excel charts, um, flow charts, but blogging, that was it. <laughs> so when they told me, you can retire in six weeks, I said, hallelujah. <laughs> There's an end to all of this. So it was a little easier than I thought it would be. Um, I certainly at that time, as I said, I was the youngest one when I started. So a lot of my colleagues had been retiring for about at least the last 15 years. So I had many people on the other side, on the civilian side, uh, enjoying life, doing different things. I was financially prepared, um, paid off my mortgage. Kids were of age. Um, I knew that I had a good pension plan. So if you haven't done that, do your homework. Deferred compensation, don't forget about that. <laughs> Those are important things to give you peace of mind. So um, I started getting ready. And uh, six months later, well, July of 2007, I did retire. To a lot of fanfare, much to my surprise, uh, one of the things that I didn't realize because, as I said, I see the cup half empty, is that a lot of people were watching me. I was looking up to the management for my validation, for my reward, for acknowledgement. And there was quite a bit, but I always felt it wasn't enough. Um, but what I didn't realize is that behind me, lots of people were watching. I didn't realize I. Uh, there were clerks, library pages, librarians just starting, who heard different things I had said in different meetings, 
who um, saw a person of color, for one, that's very big. Um, it has to be acknowledged. That makes a difference to people to say, come into the profession when if, you know, just someone has to invite them. But I treat everybody like the family, a family. So um, I have a big family, as I said in, in my description. It's a boisterous family, so you've got to learn to speak loud and jump in or you're going to get left out. Uh, so I tried to include a lot of people in the work that I did, the committees that I worked, the um, delegation of work to get people to uh, grow, get new skills. I never tried to keep anyone from promoting or leaving the unit. I asked a new employee when they came to my unit, the first thing, what do you want to do? What can I do to help you get there? Um, something important my father told me, uh, taught me because he had supervisors who tried to uh, keep him from promoting because who was going to do the work if he left? <laughs> well, you've got to teach somebody else. And that's, that's your job as a manager. But um, I was just really surprised at the outpouring of uh, appreciation. And I, I'm sure that happens for a lot of people. But that's just something that I learned. Look who's behind you. Look who's watching. Somebody's always watching you. And the appreciation can come from places you didn't expect. And that really has been very rewarding to me. Although um, you know, I'm not in touch with work very much anymore, but uh, I try to encourage those people that I can when I do see them. Um, what have been the differences since I stopped working compared to when I was working? I have to say that at first I decided I was not going to do anything, make no commitments for six months. I don't know why that came to my mind, but I'm really glad I set that for myself. No volunteer, no story time, no library friends of the library work for me. I was going to take time off. And everyone would ask me, what are you going to do? And I'd say, as little as possible. Didn't want to commit to anything. Uh, I had been on many committees. <laughs> I'd been uh, responsible for a lot. I felt responsible for a lot of people. Um, so I, I just wanted time for myself. It is a big transition to go from a very structured schedule that we had in our library. And I'm not sure if that's the case in every every uh, place of employment, but every hour is structured from the day, from the moment you get there, uh, so that you know who's covering a desk, who's got a meeting, who needs to go to lunch, etc. cetera. Um, otherwise, you don't leave, you don't go home. <laughs> but I was finding myself at work 12 hours a day. So uh, it's good to have that structure when you're working and going to retirement, and time has no end. <laughs> it goes on and on. That's a big difference. And it, it can be good for some people, and it can be terrible for some others who don't know what to do with their, their free time. I also don't have to deal with rude customers, cranky customers, people who tell you, I pay your salary. And you have to smile and be very nice, very civil. Yes, you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I can just walk away if somebody starts to be rude wherever I go. And that's for civil servants. I don't know about uh, special libraries. You probably have engineers and scientists, chemists who may have a bad day sometimes and come in and talk to you in an unfriendly way. But um, I don't have to deal with that. There is definitely a sense of time. You have deadlines you have to meet. Not so much anymore. The tasks, the lists of things to do is never ending when you're working. There's always something else. As soon as you scratch something off, there's something else at the bottom of that list. Now the things that I do have a beginning and an end. I can count how many goodie bags I put together for the holiday party, 
I can count how many daffodil bulbs we planted in the community garden. I can count how many zucchinis I harvested this summer. I have a sense of satisfaction, and that's something I wasn't getting anymore at work. May not be true for everybody, but that was how I was feeling. Um, at work, you have a built-in group of friends, a built-in group of people who at least are in the same room with you, and when you're retired, you may find yourself alone unless you seek those out. I, um, my children are grown, so I'm, I'm home alone a lot of time, and I find I like it. <laughs> I always have a news radio station on, so I'm always hearing voices. I hear people talking, but I realized just about a week ago, and this is after two years of retirement, I'm not talking very much. So I realized that because uh, <laughs> I go to Sunday Mass, and the choir starts up, and I, start, I try to sing, and nothing comes out. <laughs> I need to get those vocal cords practiced before I get out of the house. So I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to start vocalizing. Just talk. Talk to myself. It's okay. Nobody's going to answer back doesn't matter what I'm saying. So um, that's something just to be aware of. And I, I know originally, right after I retired, I was getting invitations to lunches and then to dinners. Um, then Facebook came along, and I got drafted into joining Facebook. And I go, what do I need Facebook for? Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a whole world on Facebook. Although that gets old after a while, and I'm not going to Twitter. <laughs> I'm not going to tweet. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I've realized, I don't have to dress professionally for anybody unless I really, really want to. Um, at work, I was very conscious. We're working in the public. I'm setting a, a standard for my staff. Uh, regardless of what the dress code is, how the boss dresses sets a lot of tone. So I wanted staff to be clean, uh, to be orderly, organized, and um, casual is fine as long as it was clean. But professional, I. Well, everybody has different standards. However, now that I don't have to go to work, don't have to dress for the public, I dress very casual. I never would wear jeans to work. I wear them all the time now at home. So um, some of the things that nobody told me, or maybe I wasn't listening. As I said, I was 25 when I started. And one of the things that they try to tell you in uh, preparing for retirement, from the day you start, the day you start, um, you have your orientation with payroll, they want you to sign up for savings plan, for deferred compensation, for if not your retirement uh, pension, maybe a 401k if that's how your organization uh, rolls. We had a pension plan, so I didn't have to think about that too much. But deferred compensation, I only started putting uh, money into that about six months before I, six years rather, before I retired. when. I realized my kids are going to leave. I need to start planning for my future. So I paid down the mortgage. I put into deferred comp. That may not mean anything if you have lots of money, uh, but it's at least one thing that you can think about. Um, financial security will make a big difference on how you live your retirement. Everybody has dreams of uh, going off to travel the world. And I'll tell you, everybody has a fantasy about retirees traveling all the time. Every time I come into the library, and there are fewer and fewer people who know who I am, <laughs> but they go, where have you been this time? Where have you gone? I'll say the first 12 months, I did do a lot of traveling, Not only one of which I planned in, a, in advance. I had so many people asking me when I announced my retirement, and it was five months before I left, asking me, what are you, you going to do? Where are you going to go? That I, I decided I better plan something so I have an answer to tell them. 
So I planned a cruise to Alaska with a friend of mine, and uh, then I had something to say. I'm going to Alaska. Oh, <laughs> everybody's excited. Uh, and then because I made no commitments for anything, as little things came up, I was able to take off. I wasn't married to any volunteer job that I was doing, so I went on a trip to Canada for two weeks with my son. I was on a road trip from San Jose to Seattle with another friend for two weeks, and we traveled all over the back roads of California, the back roads of Oregon, to Seattle and back. I uh, went to Mexico, I went to the Yucatan. I had five days' notice about the trip to Yucatan. Somebody dropped out, a friend knew that I was interested someday. I wasn't committed to anything, I could go just like that. So I was really, Glenn, really glad with my plan not to commit to anything for, for a period of time. It does take some adjustment if you don't know what to do with yourself, if you are alone, don't have any connections outside of work, if you don't have friends or activities you've cultivated, you, will be, you might be at a loss. Or you'll see this as a time of discovery, like who am I? Who am I going to be without the library as the framework for my life? Uh, and that, that was pretty much where I was. My children didn't need me anymore, and I'll tell you, that was a huge shock. They don't need me anymore. <laughs> they can take care of themselves, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I took those six months, and there were certainly people who came to me and asked me if I would consider volunteering for their organization or their project. Um, I finally did select one, and that was with my uh, local parish. So one day a week I go and help with that. But I took time to take some cooking classes. I took exercise classes, um, dance class. I joined the YMCA. And I, I realized what I wanted to do was be more physical, not sitting at a computer six hours a day, managing email because it gets out of hand, going from one meeting to another and sitting through one meeting, half hour break, go to the next meeting. I mean, there were weeks, you just one meeting after the other. And then when you didn't expect a meeting, customers complaining and you need to go down and mediate, make them happy, not compromise the staff, show the staff how to deal with conflict, etc. So um, the other thing that I got involved with was our neighborhood association. And um, those are the two things that I do now, primarily as volunteer for the church and in my neighborhood community. Um, I still do the exercise, I go walking, I try to uh, stay active because the longer you sit, <laughs> you're gonna get stuck there. <laughs> you're not gonna be moving. Um, it's been good for my blood pressure, I've been dropping a little bit of weight. Um, I'm out and about seeing the neighborhood, what, what's going on, what needs to be done. And I found that when I came back to the library, it was changing so much, I don't know anybody anymore. At first, probably the first nine months, I would come in and people would want to tell me, do you know what's going on? Do you know what they decided? Do you know what's happening? And I, what can I do? I'm not there anymore. And good riddance, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not the troublemaker. Um, it, I was not going to be effective there. So what I try to do is go to the library like it's Saturday morning when there's no management around, or during the week at the Dr. King Library, you can come in as early as 8 o'clock and nobody's around. I go in, I get out, I go in, I get out. I reserve things over the internet and I just pick them up and check myself out. Uh, I certainly enjoy being a customer of the library now rather than a manager, a planner. Um, but the library has kept on changing and it'll keep on changing and 
it hasn't fallen apart without me, so I'm enjoying my retirement. One of the things that I've um, carried over from my work to my personal life is after those six months, I started to realize I was having a sense of, what am I doing with my time? And, and it's very disconcerting when you're, you're used to having structure all the time. What am I doing? What am I doing? Am I wasting my time? Uh, I watched TV for about three months, and then I got bored with it, and I thought there's nothing on 100 channels worth watching. Um, I tried to read, but there was so much coming at me, I really couldn't read a book. I couldn't focus enough to read a book. And I realized that's my signal. I've got to get out and to be physical, move with my body, get out, walk, talk to people, um, not reading. It's just some, my brain just stopped, couldn't process anything for about eight, eight months, really. I mean, I could read, you know, the bills to pay them, but to get into a novel or a nonfiction book, it took too much concentration, even the daily newspaper sometimes. And then, of course, my vision was changing, so that made it less inviting. But um, the brain is telling you, you need a change. So I did that and uh, got very involved with the YMCA. Um, it was about a year after I retired that I felt all of it one day, I just felt <sighs> I could breathe again. Didn't have that tension. I didn't have you know, all of those commitments that I felt I wasn't meeting well enough. Um, and it was another year when I finally felt like all, one day, just all the weight fell away from me. The career is over and it's okay. <laughs> In between those two years, I flirted with the consultancy. Um, I was hired by uh, Salinas Public Library to help them with selection. It was fabulous. It was exciting to do something I knew how to do. The sense of accomplishment was, you know, really specific. We had a certain amount of money. I had a, a, call, a friend of mine who also was a retired librarian. We worked on this project together. Great sense of accomplishment. And I was done. I really didn't need to do anything else in the library. Um, there's also a lot of tax liability for the money that you make outside of your employment or your pension. And that sort of made me think, do I really want to be doing that? And I decided, no, I didn't need to. I know of several colleagues who have been retired for five years and they continue to do story time every week or once a month like they used to when they were a children's librarian and I think, I hope they're enjoying that. I guess they are or they wouldn't be doing it. But I, I don't want to continue being a librarian as my identity. I want to do something different, something completely different. And I don't know what that is yet. But um, I have time. There's no deadline. I don't have a date. I've got to finish something uh, to define who I am. So I would suggest, you know, that when you start working, you might want to have a, what I call the bucket list of career goals. Do you want to become a director? Do you want to be the uh, manager of children's services? Do you want to be the bookmobile librarian? Do you want to be someone who teaches for Web Junction? Do you want to work at OCLC? I mean, what is it that's going to be your goal? Because a lot of us, as I said, it was 15 years before I realized that much time has gone by and I don't know what I'm going to be doing in the future in my career. Um, I know I've spoken to library school students in the past and suggested when you start your career you might want to look at the place of employment like we do in private industry. Who's a CEO and do I want to work for them? A lot of us just go into civil service without thinking about that. 
you know, are their values a match for yours? Do you know what they've done? Is that what you want to do for the rest of your career? Uh, and if they leave and someone else comes in and has a totally different take on library service, do you want to stay with that? 30 years is not the common career anymore. I mean, you might stay 10 years with one, five years with another, and you move around. So I encourage people to um, have a plan. Where do you want to go? So you know you're driving down the road, not just meandering through the countryside, but do you want to get to a particular place? Because before you know it, all that time has gone by, and you'll think, oh my god, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Um, maybe every five years, stop and assess what you're doing. I think the generation that's in library school now, and has been for probably the last 10 years, you think differently. You don't think in 30-year spans. You do think in smaller chunks of time. And you may have other working experience before you go to library school. I came straight through from my undergrad studies into the master's program. So I didn't, uh, I did work for the county library, and I did work in Bookmobile, and I worked at the, this uh, reference center for the county system at the time. Uh, and language services certainly were not something that was on the menu of library services when I started in 1976. So I grew into that job and I think helped the system grow a service that they hadn't offered in a, in a great um, measure. They had books, but not services. So um, assess where you're going, figure out where you want to go. It's okay to change them. A lot of us in college kept changing our careers as we kept going through. Um, I think, again, it's just a reflection of my generation and my parents that I chose one course and I kept on that course. It was hard going, but I, I knew from the time I was 14 I wanted to be a librarian. I didn't know I was going to be a manager, and that's a very different kind of librarianship, uh, removed from the public, mm, not the day-to-day -day interface with people that you really, I think we all need. I think when you go into librarianship, you're going because of people. That idea that you like books, that's, that's not where it's at. It's about people. I hope all of you know that at this point in your, in your education. So um, also recommend you seek partnerships. It could be with another colleague. It could be with a mentor. Uh, seek opportunities outside your assignment to grow. When I went to CLA or went to American Library Association conference, I went to workshops that had nothing to do with what I did, in addition to those things I did know about. Um, I would go to technical services workshops, so I'd know what the lingo was that they were talking about. And I, I know more than once I surprised managers when I could speak with some knowledge about some things they were talking about because it was a very specific area of um, library work because it wasn't what I did. They, whether you like it or not, you get put in a box. You're a specialist in children's storytelling or puppeteering. You're a specialist in teen programming, you're a specialist in adult service, you're a specialist in reference. And we all know that reference is the be-all and end-all. Those are real librarians. Reference librarians are gods. So try to get out into other areas of, of librarianship. Do different things. And if not within your organization, join uh, organizations like the California Library Association or the American Library Association. There are a lot of committee opportunities. Uh, and those will help you also decide where do you want to go, where, what is your path. You might find other models, other role models. And um, at the back of all of that, I think you should be thinking, 
did I make a difference? Am I making a difference? I think that's why we go into a career. You could be a barista, but are you the best there is in all of Starbucks or Pete's or whatever coffee company that is? Are you the best cashier that you can be if that's what you choose to do? Um, but as a librarian, uh, are you making an impact on the community, on the citizens? Are they getting their money's worth as taxpayers? What is it that you can add to the library? And don't wait to be asked. Offer, partner with different people. Um, do you want to be a consultant? and maybe not work within the structure of an organization. That has its own challenges, its own thrills. Um, for me, as I said, for my generation, I wanted security and know what I was gonna be doing, which the public library gave me. In retirement, I'm looking at new role models. Uh, community leadership is real important. One of the volunteer uh, activities that I do the other volunteers, there are two of them who are 90 years old. Another is a retired nun who's in her 80s. I'm the young chick in that group, which gives me a different perspective on life. But I think these women are my role models. My gosh, they're 90, they're very thriving, they're still driving. They do other volunteer work. Um, I can't sit around waiting uh, for something to happen. What, what am I supposed to do in life? These women are doing it. Get out and do something. Um, take time to be creative. As I said, do things that are very different from what you used to do. Try something that's out of your comfort zone. Um, I had an employee who told me in a very um, fond way that I was a comfort queen. And at first I bristled at that, but I realized she's right. I do the things that are comfortable to me that I like, and I'm not learning. I'm not doing different things, challenging myself. And that's important also in retirement. Some people um, will want to be traveling the world. Some will want to just cuddle up on the sofa and read all their romance or mystery novels, sci-fi. Um, I hope I can go to the movies. I hope I can travel to Hawaii. And I've done a lot of those things. I'm planning, I want to go to the Galapagos Islands. I don't know why. It's just out there. I need to go there. It's calling. Visualize yourself doing something um, and you'll get there. Visualize yourself in chunks of time also, even after you retire. As I said, there's no schedule. There's no deadline. You're not going to uh, fail anybody if you don't get to some place at a certain time. But most important, I think, is don't have any regrets. Whatever you choose, make a choice. Don't let life just happen to you. Although for the first year, things will flow over you and you're passing through, you're passing in that transition from a working life to a retired life. But um, I have no regrets at this point in my life. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I don't know who I'm going to be. Um, I'll always have been the librarian, but I'm not a librarian anymore. I'm a citizen of San Jose, and that's a nice place to be.